All right. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning into lesson 4.1. This is Tom and James from Australia, from Brisbane in Australia. And a bit of background from us because you wouldn't have heard from us before. But so I'm James talking right now, James Duna from um, the Foot Collective Australia. So I founded the Australian division of the Foot Collective uh, in 2018 and I'm a physiotherapist by training um, but over the last couple of years I've just been uh, running TFC and running all the education events and workshops and seminars around the place when we're able to um, and Tom I'll let Tom introduce himself yeah and I'm Tom of Tom and James uh, yeah so name's Tom Williams physiotherapist also by trade uh, founder of breath performance and a foot nerd I have gone through the footnote program myself. So it's one of the ways that James and I sort of got in touch and uh, the story has continued to rise since then. Yes, yes. And plenty <laughs> to write. But um, so this episode, we're going to be talking all about the concept of movement nutrition. Um, it comes from a, a biomechanist and an author called Katie Bowman, who wrote the, a book. She's wrote many, many books, um, including one called Whole Body Barefoot. But uh, her book, Move Your DNA, is where she sort of explains this concept in most detail. Uh, and it's one we'd highly, highly recommend getting to, especially to accompany this podcast and to go deeper. But uh, I'm pretty excited to be talking about this one. It's one of my favorite um, concepts and was quite paradigm shifting for me. I, I read her book in my first year uh, practicing as a physiotherapist, and it really really hit home and changed, really changed the game for me in, in the way I think about movement. And I think it's a really, really important concept for everyone to understand, not just practitioners, but anyone who cares about their health. Um, I, think, I think that's a very valid point there, right? Like it's something not just for practitioners, it's for everyone. If, if yeah. more people had heard of the concept, then maybe we wouldn't have to teach people as practitioners. It would have been just more a general thing people knew. But that's why it's really cool that we get to come on here and talk about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we might as well just dive straight in. So the concept is pretty much as it sounds. So it is that movement acts as nutrition in our bodies. So that is kind of an analogy and is also literally true. When you think about the, um, there's a process called mechanotransduction. And that is where the, there's physical stimulus or mechanical stimulus that uh, the cell, our cells experience, and then that gets converted into biochemical processes in the cell. And obviously our bodies are made up of trillions of cells, uh, which join together to make tissues and organs and organ systems and our whole body. So the mechanical inputs that we receive have a major, major effect on our body's structure and function and just like so it's very similar to food and an easy example that i always like to give is that of bone density and muscle mass so no matter if, if you're on bed rest or if you go out of space then over time your bone density will decrease and your muscle mass will decrease regardless of how much protein or calcium or minerals you're consuming through food because the input of load and movement is actually what your bones and muscles need in order to thrive no matter you know it, that is the stimulus that you need along with nutrition from food obviously but if you don't get the movement nutrition then they don't thrive so that's a really obvious example but the same kind of thing can be applied to every organ system in the body from cardiovascular to respiratory and neurological everything does rely on movement in order to thrive and, and like a good way to follow that up is if you think about you know we've broken food down a lot in the last sort of 20 years into different parts of the nutrients so whether that be the fats whether that's the carbs whether that's the protein and if you want to take that viewpoint you could simply look at it like cardio like mobility stretching flexibility like strength you know you, you can overdo one or underdo one and there's always a fine balance but sometimes it, you don't really even need to break it down to that level do you like you sort of every different load could be like every different movement don't overthink it, get out there and start doing different things and experiencing different things. And most of the time you probably have like a healthier foundation, wouldn't you say? Like it's sort of, you know, you want that well-roundedness versus just I'm very, very strong or I'm very, very flexible. Exactly. And that, that is, that's why I like this analogy 
and this concept so much is because everyone kind of knows that with nu nutrition and food, you need the right quantity, obviously. So you need to be eating enough food, but obviously not too much. You need the right quality. So it can't just be Snickers bars. You can't just be getting all your calories from Snickers bars and Coke. Um, and you need the right variety. So even if you're eating really healthy foods like um, chick uh, like carrots or you know really nutrient dense organ meats or something like that if you are only things that are less that, processed yeah even if you are mm. only eating one say you're just eating oranges or carrots and you weren't eating anything else even though those things are good for you you're still going to end up deficient in certain key nutrients and so that's why that balance of those three things quality quantity and variety really matter and that's why this concept is so important because people think we're, we're going to talk about this in a bit as well, but people think that they're being healthy by exercising 30 to 60 minutes a day, but most people are doing sort of the same type of exercise over and over again and not actually moving their bodies in different ways and getting that variety. And then, then like with the way that the world is structured now, that's sort of the, being the message that's come out from most governments for such a long time in order to try and get people moving. And again, if we just go back a few hundred years when people were foraging for food or hunter gatherers, they weren't essentially, they were moving, they were trying to move a lot to get their food and they would rest. But that didn't mean they would move for 30 minutes or an hour, did it? It was sort of like move until I get what I need to get and then stop. Whereas it's kind of, you know, and we'll touch on this a little later as well. Like people have just stopped moving as much out of, you know, the way the world is currently constructed for them. And yeah. you, you're not getting those movement varieties anymore because you have packages like f45 or like your strength training or your like bodybuilding which they're they've they've got goals and they're very good to get people moving in certain ways but sometimes they just miss like the more of that broad concept of you know trying to move in different ways exactly and on that from that evolutionary example like it's always good to look back on our evolutionary history to put these concepts in context and like tom said if you think back to our ancestors, say hunter-gatherer ancestors, they're getting all of these wide range of nutrients just from the act of needing to survive in a natural environment. So obviously they're having to get up and down off the ground very frequently. They're squatting, they're moving around on the ground. They'd be walking a lot. They'd be running. They'd be throwing. They'd be climbing. They would be doing all these things to hunt or gather or to build shelters and there's a lot of low, low level movement happening all throughout the day and obviously periods of rest. But when they are resting, it would be on the ground. Like they don't have chairs and comfy lounges and things to sit in. And so even on the ground, they're actually getting exposed to loads uh, on the ground and they're getting exposed to different positions that you don't get when you're sitting in a chair. Um, and that's, that's as adults, but even kids would be playing you know, doing a lot of different play and obviously helping out with their tribe and their community, um, but they'd be playing a lot of games. Um, and if you look at the way kids play, a lot of that is to do with practicing natural movements that help them survive uh, later on in adulthood in a natural environment as well. And we're going to do a whole podcast on play. Um, but if you just sort of... Play is good. Play, play is great. <laughs> um, but if you do just look back and, and envision all of these movements, this huge variety and quantity of movements that our ancestors would have been doing. You can see why our genes expect that, that level of movement nutrition. And then you sort of fast forward to our modern context, like Tom was alluding to before, we've outsourced a lot of our movement to either other humans or animals or technology. Um, mostly, mostly technology in the last, you know, in the most recent history with the industrial revolution and the technological revolution. So because with our, uh, I guess, drive for efficiency and our, um, you know, big brains and we're wanting to make everything efficient so that we don't have to work as much, um, we've actually decided that we've, we've created our environment so that we don't actually have to move for our food or to survive anymore. You know, there's, we've pretty much eliminated most predators in our immediate environment. We've, um, you know, created agriculture and food systems that allow us just to go into the shop, um, or even just tap a few things on our, on our phone and food will be delivered to our door. So we've just 
outsourced all of this movement that we'd usually be doing. And uh, so now we just, because the, the, the natural order is, well, if I don't have to do that, I'm not going to. Um, and then obviously that's where exercises come in as like a, as a, we've realized that we can't just be sedentary all the time and exercises come in as like the supplement, like, oh, we have to move our bodies. And, and that's where all of these systems of exercise have come about. Yeah. And like to build on from that, I, I, you shouldn't scare yourself when you like hear Jam say it or you read about these things. It's like, oh my God, I can't sit in a chair or, oh, I've been doing this all wrong. And that's not the, the point of the discussion. It's more so when you start to see the world in a different light, essentially, like, Sitting down, for example, is not bad. There's nothing wrong hmm. with sitting, right? But going from, say, like sitting on a chair to a stand desk is not moving. It's still the same thing in one spot. So if you start to go, okay, like, yeah, those it's are still the being two, still the two main. Yeah, it's the two two options that most people go to. So it's like, okay, well, how else can I move? And like, what else could I have done? And like, you could go historically and take, you know, the position, say, the hunter gatherers got in, or essentially just play around and that's like again what the, the play podcast would be about but you can sit in all sorts of positions to do your work you can still use technology you can know if you if you're someone inclined to use uber eats to you know outsource your food getting that like those things are all okay but a set like essentially the more that you're going to be moving just at that low lying base the healthier you are both from just the movement of your body and the way that it nourishes itself from just random movements to you being able to prepare food. Like, again, if you spend time in the kitchen, right? Like you're on your feet and you're chopping. And I know it seems silly, but like, let's say you do that seven nights a week and you're moving around the kitchen doing stuff. You're expending low-lying energy, but it's more energy than you would sitting on the couch ordering Uber Eats. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's these small things that, again, it's okay to do that every now and again. But if you can slowly encourage more and more movement, I think you and I have talked this about before and the whole tiny habits thing comes into it, right? You start moving slowly, you do a few little movements, eventually it becomes, you're just constantly moving, right? And you then know how to rest and you know how to like modulate rest more, like when you need to versus resting all the time and moving a little and using exercise, like you said, as a supplement for the movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And there's there's definitely nothing wrong with supplements. Like if, with this, I love, it just applies really well to this analogy because in our modern context, then often most of us don't get enough variety and quality of nutrients in our diet because it's, I mean, there's issues with soil health, which means there's not as many minerals in the vegetables that we're eating. And, you know, there's these issues with our food systems that mean we don't get all, often we don't get all the nutrients that we do actually need. And so it's like, well, if I'm not getting that nutrient from my diet, then I should probably try and take a supplement to, to help with that. But if I can get it from my diet, then great. But you can use uh, the exercise as a way to yeah, supplement some of the deficiencies, but you should always be looking for ways to include the, that movement nutrient in your movement diet, which we'd be calling like your day-to-day movement behavior. And I think what people can get caught up in is like, oh, it sounds like I just have to be exercising all day. And it's, it's the key thing is it's not exercising all day. It's including more frequent, consistent, frequent, variable movement throughout your day. But it's, it's very low level, low intensity. It's, it's pretty much like active rest in a way. Like it's, and interestingly, that actually makes exercise, the supplement of exercise more beneficial in a lot of ways Mm. and you're able to do it better and more beneficial but also less necessary um and so exercise becomes that bonus of something that you uh, want to do and it's you know you're playing with skills and you're learning you know learning new movements and doing exercise that you actually enjoy rather than just trying to trying to catch up and um trying to work against this sedentarism and so we do know that sedentarism is as in being still too frequent, too much throughout the day um, is a major risk factor for all chronic diseases. So cancer, heart disease, Alzheimer's, diabetes, obesity, chronic pain, like it, sedentarism is very linked to all of those things. And you, there's a lot of studies actually that show that you can't, uh, or good research to show that you can't out-exercise a sedentary uh, lifestyle. As in, if you're sitting all day, you can't just go to the gym 
and then get the benefits of being an active person. It needs to be um, more frequent variable movement throughout the day. Yeah. And I think one of the things when it comes to like moving more, some people often like being like practitioners as physios, we sort of get a whole host of different people who have injuries or histories of pain. And they say like, I can't move because it hurts. Or like, I, I can't move because I'm stiff. And that's kind of the problem. Like mm. people are, have become frightened to move because they're fearful of hurting things when for the most part, if people had just been moving more regularly for a longer period of time, the problems that occur when you're 40, 50 and 60 probably don't occur as a much purely because like if my shoulder can go up here now, and I keep it going up there for 40 years. I'm not going to have the problem of, Oh, I can't take my arm overhead and then it hurts. And that comes from any position that could be sitting on your knees. could be sitting, you know, like on the ground, like I am, I think what you're standing there, you know, like Mm. these positions that you can adopt, like it becomes so much easier and it's sort of like, um, it's momentum, right? Like the more you do it, the better you get at it. And as long as you start small and you slowly build up your nutrients and you start finding that variety, you find it becomes very easy and it just becomes like a habit. Exactly. Yeah. And that is it. That sort of, you touched on an important point there is that there's, I guess what you could call global sedentarism and local sedentarism. So global is just being very still in general, like you're just sitting most of the day, which really our whole lifestyle, our modern lifestyle environment is very set up for people to sit um, a lot. Like we all have chairs at our office or in obviously at home and in our cars and it's just it's the done thing to sit a lot um but also there can be local areas of sedentarism um like you said if people people might be very active um you know quote-unquote active doing things like running and squatting and you know walking a lot they might be doing heaps of that but they actually never get their arms overhead or hang um, off a bar or something like that Mm. and their shoulders would then, even though they're generally active, their shoulders would become sedentary in a sense because they're not actually getting all of the variable movements in the shoulders that they need. And so they actually get these local, you know, movement nutrient deficiencies that end up with issues. And another great example is the feet. So obviously we're very interested in how the feet function and you could be doing all of these things like, you know, walking a lot and squatting a lot and, Um, being quite active but if you're doing it while um, your feet are wrapped in tight stiff narrow uh, heeled shoes then your feet actually becomes more sedentary even though you're sort of active on them they're not getting the natural movements that they need to thrive and so it's it's all of these things so obviously most people are experiencing a combination of both they're getting they're just not active enough in general and there's certain areas in their body that are nowhere near active enough and like you said it ends up with them experiencing um, aches and pains tightness and stiffness things that make them less likely to want to move but it's kind of counter counterintuitive because you can look at those signals or you I believe you should look at those signals as similar to hunger signals or bloating type signals where you're you're either getting not enough movement um, or not enough quality movement, um, or you maybe have done too much for what you can handle. So it's, you know, obviously your body, if you're not eating enough or you're not getting enough quality nutrients, then your body's going to give you signals of things like hunger and um, just other symptoms that is telling you actually I need more food. Um, Mm. And similarly, if you have way too much food, if you have a huge meal and you just keep stuffing it in and you're, you're, you know, you're not like a, um, an eating competitor, you know, those people who do like the eating competitions who can just, they've trained their bodies to take so much food. Then you eat a huge meal and you're like, oh, I'm really bloated, yeah, I'm a bit refluxy. And if, if, especially if you'd been sort of starving yourself before that, your stomach was really small, then you'd probably vomit it up. You wouldn't process it very well at all. You need to be having the right amount of food for what your body can tolerate. And that's the same thing with movement. Often people are quite sedentary or have areas of local sedentarism. They get inspired to go to the gym or start running. And then they hurt themselves because they've just done too much for what their body can handle. And I think 
it, a probably very common example for people, whether it's a gym goer or your runner, a lot of the exercises for the gym that came out from like the seventies, eighties, nineties, and then same with running, they're very straight to forwards yeah. and backwards. And I, it's such a simple concept, but we move in rotation, we move side to side. And a lot of those act like running, obviously you move a little bit, but it's, it's mostly straight. Even when you're on trails, it's still predominantly straight. When you're in the gym, if you're only ever doing straight, you're never exposing your body to that rotation or to like the lateral flexion side bending type stuff. And it may seem like trivial for some people, but essentially across time, because your body's so efficient, it just stops doing it or it stops wanting to rotate or doing it. So you're effectively narrowing your movement capacity. Mm. Right. And so if you can then build up your movement nutrition, your movement capacity can widen, which then gives you more variety of movement and allows you to move in these different ways. And particularly something that you and I've touched on a lot, talked about with like the beams and stuff, that unconscious movement, like it's, you don't want to have to be thinking about movement all the time or being scared of movement. And that comes through experience. Like you can tell someone that it's good for them, but you really understand it when you go through it and practice it. And you, building your own understanding is probably the key point, right? Like if you understand yourself first and then you're trying to educate others on it, it makes it a lot easier to go, oh, A, this works. This is how it kind of feels. And I'm, I sort of get used to those signals and I know, what, oh yeah, sometimes it might, I might've pushed a little too far and it might be a bit sore, but I know tomorrow will be okay. And when you've experienced that a few times over, you, you can help talk to someone else or whether you're doing like the footnote program as a practitioner or someone yourself learning, you can help a friend or family member experiencing yourself going through it and going, Oh yeah, right. That's what it feels like to overdo it. I'm going to scale back a bit and then just experience it. Exactly. And that that's that self-regulation that we want to be building to and, and not getting uh, frustrated with the signals that your body are giving you say, say you do too much one day. It's not like, beating yourself up and getting frustrated like oh my body can't handle it it's like oh that's my body telling me i did too much um i can acknowledge that i know i need to do a bit less next time um to to bring it to that eating example sometimes you do need to eat less and sometimes you need to change the way you're eating sometimes you need to slow it down you need to chew more to you know um eat more mindfully and slowly, and that can completely change the way that same food would affect your digestive system. And so similarly with movement, you might be doing a certain type of exercise um, or a cert certain movement patterns and you flare up or you, you have a signal that it was too much. You could do the exact same movement patterns, but you slow it down, you bring more mindfulness to the activity and that same exercise or that same pattern could be could feel really good and not flare you up. So it's, it's mm. about looking at all of those factors and figuring out what you can tweak to give the outcome that you want. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a really good point. I mean, it probably will then lead into a good, I mean, you, you introduced me to the concept through the book, obviously of a movement nutrition profile and mm. probably understanding that at oneself. So you might as well run people through what that might be for them and how they can look at it themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So the movement nutrient profile is taking that bird's eye view on what your movement diet actually looks like, because a lot of people will, especially, you know, if you're someone who's been interested in the footnote program, then you're probably already active. And a lot of people sort of view themselves as active if they, if they do exercise frequently. And that is the sort of common understanding of what an active person is but if you take a broader view and just actually calculate how many hours a day do i spend sitting and i would for this one i would say how many hours a day do you spend sitting in a chair because ground sitting is very different to chair sitting and we'll talk about that in a second but if you actually calculate it so think about eating breakfast um driving to driving work in the car driving home um, you know, meetings at work, if you sit at work for your job, um, if you sit in meetings, if you come home and sit to eat dinner at the table, and if you sit to on a lounge or, or whatever to watch TV in the evening, all of these things need to be added up and looked at. And then how many hours a day do you spend moving? So again, you can count that as your exercise, but 
also count that as you know if you if you walk to work or if you bike to work or if you um do yeah obviously like a morning walk type routine or you can think about it as um sitting on the ground in different positions um just low or even like tom said before like standing up and cooking a meal we'll count that as movement so you're actually in action how many different types of movement do you do? So again, that can be how many different types of exercise or how many different types of those little low level movements. And then just take a note of every musculoskeletal symptom that you have. So things, areas that feel tight or stiff, um, weaknesses that you've noticed, any pain and injuries you know, in your feet or knees or hips or back or anything. Just take all of those, take note of all of those um, Katie goes even deeper into like how many medications do you do you take and what are they for and so on because this does go beyond musculoskeletal health as well. It goes into you know your full systemic health. Um, but take note of all of those things and just put it into context and, and try and figure out, well, okay, my hips are really stiff. They always feel stiff when I go for a walk or I'm, I'm always feeling like I have to mobilize my hips. Oh, I'm sitting, actually turns out I'm sitting eight hours a day and it's like, which is not uncommon. No, like, I think that's, that's the big thing. I, so I, as a bit quick background work on a university and I treat a lot, a lot of academic staff and a lot of them, like James mentioned, they have a lot of meetings. They do a lot of sitting. They're obviously preparing lectures for the university year. They would easily sit eight hours a day just at work before mm-hmm. you count their transport just because like they get into work at 8 8 30 often they leave at 5 5 30 the only times that they're not sitting are when they're walking to and from like the lunch place or meetings and i've done i've done it with them i've done a lot of numbers like eight hours is minimal yeah. and it seems like you, you don't think that you're sitting for eight hours like when you reflect on a day you never go i sat for eight hours today so it is like you said, you you kind of want to get a little bit micro or granular with it and actually just analyze your own day and go, man, I am sitting a lot longer than I thought. Mm-hmm. And when you actually look at it, you really find out a lot about your movement habits and like where, where they are going, don't you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> and and it, it is often a shock for people to actually think about that and go, oh, wow, I'm actually sitting like eight plus hours a day. And it as much as it is confronting, it's also helpful because if, um, if someone is struggling with their hip mobility, it's a great example. Someone's really struggling with their hip mobility, which a lot of people do, and it can have big effects on a lot, a lot of different areas as well. But often people feel really tight in the hips and they're just mobilizing and mobilizing and doing cap stretches and, you know, 90-90s and, and trying to do all these supplements, but they're not actually addressing the root cause of that stiffness, which is the, sh- the sheer amount of time they spend spending sitting in a chair. And-, and this is, and like, just to touch on that point there. Right? So I treat a lot of people who do the same thing. And I know you have as well, that there's couch stretching 90, 90, they're great. Like they are fantastic. Absolutely. But if, if, if you're not doing more movement and tell me if you've ever found this, it actually makes things worse for some people. Can do. Like they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're trying to get into these cool stretches that feel really good. But because they haven't got a good foundation of like, let's just use movement nutrition. They haven't moved a lot. It hurts. And it causes them to pain. Like the elephant walks the same. A lot of like, you know, cat cow, like some of those things can actually be quite painful. Mm. And again, it frightens people away from moving. And it seems so odd, but if you actually moved more, these wouldn't be problems. And we know it through (laughs) research and we know it through practical experience with numerous people, clients, friends of ours, like the whole TFC community. Like it's amazing to see how something that feels so good to someone can be so painful to another person. And often you get some people saying like, oh, I'm just not flexible enough for this or I'm not fit enough for that. And if we started to just like rewrite that language of like, well, you are as fit or you're as flexible as you've sort of allowed your body to be. And that's okay. Like you haven't known. Not everyone's been educated the way we have to like look at those problems. It's like, that's okay. Those signals are good. Like they are just ways of your body trying to talk to you because it has no better way. It doesn't know how to. So you have the pains, you have some injuries, you have stiffnesses. Think about it like, and this is where you can get help and such. But if you look at that more like, okay, that's a signal. I'm gonna, I should do something about it. That is like the first step into like trying to 
figure out more about your body. And that's always, you know, it's a journey, but it, it, it's a journey that feels good, particularly the longer you're on it. 100%. And it's, it's, not, it's not obviously not a journey that you have to do alone. And mm. there's no one like for me, I'm a physiotherapist and I've done all this training. I understand all these concepts and I still go to Tom for him to assess my body and see what kind of movement nutrients or, or supplements that I might need to help keep my body in the best condition it can be while I want to, while I do all my movements that I like to do and the, and the skills that I like to train like handstands and um, you know, get better at running. And, you know, there's, there's, we're all sort of, I don't want to say victims, but we're all a product of the lifestyle and environment that we've grown up in. And we all have, you know, a certain amount of, I guess, dysfunction, if you want to call it that in our body areas that could be functioning better. And it's not, it's not our fault, but it is our responsibility. And obviously a big part of the mm. footnote program is taking that responsibility. And it's a very, very different mindset to say, Oh, like my body's all achy and um, you know, woe is me. This sucks to, Oh, cool. Now I'm empowered with the knowledge that it's, you know, it's about my movement diet and my movement nutrition what can I do? Who can I go and see? And who, what can help me figure this out? And we're going to mm. go through a lot of strategies here, but you know, it's as foot nerds, we want to help people do that. And mm. also we want to help each other. And, you know, we want, I think one of the best ways to learn how to help other people is to go and get help yourself. And so I think it's, I think it's really important to find someone or you know an organization or a program that you trust and believe in uh, to follow um, or to get guidance from and and also be that sort of your own health scientist and and have that self-regulation along the way yeah and like you well i mean we know that if most people in this world moved more there'd be less of those sorts of signals coming and they'd feel a little bit better but you can't go out and just start yelling at everyone saying, Hey, you need to do this. You need to do that. Like that's not the way people really learn the best. Essentially, whatever you think the world should be like, and you, know, you and I have a very similar stand on like, we think everyone should sit on the ground more. We should get barefoot. We should move. You have to create the environment yourself that you would like build it around. And then you will find people who are similar to you. And then there will be all like nodes around the world who are very, very much the same. Like, you know, we met through this stuff, obviously the TFC community is huge, mm. you know, and it's only continuing to grow. And if you keep acting in a certain way or you keep moving or you keep trying to normalize, which again, we'll talk about in the strategies, like normalize sitting on the ground, normalize having more movement breaks at work and all that, all those strategies, eventually, you know, more and more people will do it and you won't feel like, you know, you're alone on your journey or you won't feel like, you know, Oh God, I don't know what else to do next. Because like you said, everyone has a different experience. So someone might show you a new movement or it might be a new supplement. Like there's always these cool things that you can learn, but taking that like responsibility, I suppose, and ownership of yourself is the first step. And it's often hard. Like it is hard to admit that there is something that you would like to change about yourself. That's always confronting, particularly mm. when it's such a, we've grown up in such a lifestyle with such a way, like we all have with shoes and sitting and such. But again, like with such a huge community here, so you can reach out to almost anyone, I reckon the TFC, like community and they'd be willing to like have a chat talk about strategies and like you know again we're not going to cover all of them so if anyone has any like extra strategies please throw them out be great yeah 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 we'll see how we go trying to cover them (laughs) (laughs) yeah we've got a few really good ones but um you know everyone's going to have their own experiences and and you're right it's there's a big difference between um you know taking that full responsibility and that full self um yeah, like self-responsibility and just trying to do everything yourself. Like you can take full responsibility for your own movement diet and also reach out and get help from other people along the way because without community, I mean, movement movement is very strongly tied to community. Like when you think about some of these big communities like CrossFit and F45 and, you know, these big successful things and it's, it's and you know rock climbing and slacklining and all of these things all these all communities sports. yeah all sports yeah 
<laughs> it's we all like to move as a tribe in a sense and we like to feel like a part of something and that obviously come goes back to our evolutionary history of being a part of a tribe and your movement capacities were a big part of how you could contribute to the survival of your tribe and so we do really connect a lot through movement and we all like to be able to move freely no one likes to be Um, restricted in their body no one likes to have pain when they're squatting down or going upstairs or um, people you you want to everyone wants to be able to do the things they want to do Um, and it's it is amazing how much people want to help each other achieve that Um, it's like it's such a shared thing that everyone has is that desire to be able to move freely Um, and when when I, I know for myself because I've gotten myself out of or I've not I want to say gotten myself with help I've um, you know been able to get out of really chronic knee pain and shoulder pain and all these things and it makes me want to pass that pass that on and go you know like if someone's having knee pain it's like oh this is what works for me like it's it becomes a very um, sharing sort of communal thing is helping each other move more freely. I think you'll find that's just, and that's everyone. Like the number of people who you hear, oh, my cousin told me this thing helped him and I've tried it. And like, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But Mm -hmm. I think people inherently want to help others that they care about. Yeah. And and that's only a good thing. It can only be a good thing for society. It doesn't always end well because not everyone, uh, you know, has like the right knowledge at the right time for the right person. But it's such a good thing that that's like the baseline function, I think, for most people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's that's where the power of this collective, you know, the foot collective is that it is all these people from all across the world who have had this, who feel this shared truth around, you know, movement's really important and the feet are our foundation for movement. And, you know, we want to help take that message to the rest of the world and, and shift the culture. Because what, what this really comes down to, it's one thing for a lot of people like us to take responsibility for our own movement and our own health but it's another thing for the entire culture to shift so that that just gets programmed into each child as they grow up and and they don't they aren't victims of this of this um this sort of zoo that we're living in Mm. yeah yes trusty zoo yeah we we, no one wants to be living in a zoo Yeah. yeah and i mean that is a the zoo analogy is a really good one because we know that zoo animals often get a lot of chronic health issues they end up with anxiety and they're stressed and they end up with um you know like similar very similar conditions that humans end up in and it's because they're actually taken away from their natural environment and that there's a lot of other factors that come into that like sleep and like i said stress and actual nutrition like what food you're actually getting um but the natural movements of an animal and we are animals the natural movements are a big part of um, our global health as well. And, and obviously our movement nutrition, like I said before, doesn't just affect our musculoskeletal bodies. Um, we know there's a lot of good research that shows that moving more um, will help you sleep better. Uh, it will actually help you manage stress. It will help your digestion. And similarly, then sleeping better will make, will give you more energy for movement. It will help you recover better from movement. Um, you know, it, it's, there's a lot of all these interactions between the pillars of health and movement is just one of those key pillars that, that we can address. Essentially, you ask a question of what does it not do better? And that's a harder question to answer. Like yeah. it'll movement will make you better at everything. Like, yeah. you know, it's just, and that's, that's the good part about research. That's what it's there for to help find those things which is fantastic yeah exactly and so some of the key strategies we've sort of yeah we've talked a lot about Mm. all of these things but and such an important concept and and like i said at the start um i do really really recommend going deeper and katie bowman explains it you know very eloquently in her book very accessibly though as well it's it's not just a book for practitioners it's a very accessibly written book with some good um diagrams and and graphic sort of you know illustrations it has pictures yeah, and there's nothing wrong with having pictures in a book yeah it's an adult picture book um, <laughs> but she writes really accessibly and um, you know, obviously explains it better than we ever could. She, she just is the, the OG with all of this stuff. So highly recommend that. But when it comes down to it, um, 
it's one thing to understand the concept and it's another thing to put it into practice. So some of the key things that we would recommend, um, one of the big things is environmental change. So your environment drives a lot of your movement behavior. So like we said before, a natural environment drives a certain amount of movement behavior because you just simply have to move in order to get your food. So it doesn't really give you a choice. If you don't move, you die. So um, very simple concept that that, will, yeah. that works really well. <laughs> now that's not to say that we all have to go out into a natural environment and just, you know, sell our house and just go and live in a cave and hunt for our food because that's not practical. It's not accessible. We don't have the skills for that. So, but we can take cues from, well, how do we design our environment at home and in the office and, you know, in the areas that we frequently are hanging around in to promote more movement. So one of the big things is chairs and furniture. So you want to have a look at how obvious and accessible are the chairs in your environment and the lounge. So say you've got your TV, your lounge room, or your sort of your living room, and you've got a massive big lounge in the center. It's very sort of, it's the, you know, the most obvious thing in the room. You're going to frequent that versus if you push that up further back somewhere and you have a, an area with mats on the ground, then the ground is going to be, start looking a bit more appealing. Obviously it takes time to uh, adapt to that new sort of position on the ground. But once you do, it actually becomes more appealing than sitting on the couch. Um, 100%. And I think you got me like, in, I think when I first went to your house, you actually didn't have a couch. Um, and I was like, damn. And then, you know, it's like, this is pretty cool. And, <laughs> and then you, you, when you get into the idea, like I, I remember first time I sat on the ground, it hurt. It mm. hurt a lot. Too. Mm -hmm. and I was like trying to cross my legs, trying to like sit in different positions. It was just, it was uncomfortable very quickly for a lot of them. And then across time, it got better. And thankfully we've got a friend, Mitch, who's from Sydney, came up with the, these cool cushions that you and I both sit on quite a lot. And to the point, like you can sit on the ground, but you can also make the ground comfortable for yourself yeah. to start. Like these cushions are fantastic. The easy mats, the, the gym floor matting that you have is comfortable to sit on. Yeah. And exactly. it, it doesn't like, you don't have to sit on the wood or the tiles and like you, you can, if you want, like that's fine, but you know, make it appealing to yourself. So like, as you can see, I'm sitting in front of a couch. I haven't sat on it once since we got it. I use it as a bed to lay on mm -hmm. sometimes, but yeah. like the environment is these cushions are always in front of it first. So yeah. it's like, I'll sit on the cushion. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. And it's, it's things you want to set out things that make certain movement behaviors more inviting. Like, you, yeah, you don't want to just have the option between the couch and the hardwood floor um, because you're just going <laughs> to no. go to the couch and, you know, a certain level of discomfort is really good for the body and being able to push through discomfort. But even I, I don't like sitting on a hard wooden floor. I, I can do it for, you know, for, you know, 10 minutes or something, but yeah. then it's like, eh, I'm kind of over it, over this. Um, and, you know, we're not necessarily made to sit on hardwood floors either. Like we'd be sitting on earth mm -hmm. or grass or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like, well, now we've got mats, we've got cushions, just make things um, as comfortable as you need them to be, because it's not so much the comfort that's the issue. It's just that the lounge or a chair really just promotes one position. But even if you yes. have cushions on the ground, um, it's comfortable, but you're still going to be changing positions frequently. You're going to be sitting cross-legged, then you might go into a 90-90, then you might kneel, then you might, you know, then you might just have a break and stand up. You're like, okay, I'm, yeah. I'm over sitting on the ground for now. And then you get up and have a bit of a break, move around, and then you come back. And so it's about how much it promotes movement and changes of position and variability through the day. Yeah. And I about say, if you watch this, like podcast this is less than the whole way through you would have seen me move a few times already like yeah. and that's because i'm sitting on the ground on the cushion but i'm not going to stay in that one spot i'm just going to slightly subtly move my body a little bit and it feels good like and i think the biggest takeaway from it is i think you will end up being more mindful of it because mm. you start to become aware that positions feel uncomfortable so then you decide that i should probably switch position which Again, I get people have, they all have like deadlines and work and there's like those stresses. But if you're sitting in a chair, your neck gets stiff, your back gets stiff, and then you, you keep sitting in it, you don't really listen to the body and the external pressure becomes too much. But when you start mm -hmm. to take that control and that responsibility, like, okay, I've sat in the chair, 
good for it. That's go for it. That's okay. But after 10 minutes and get stiff, oh, I might just go on to kneeling or I might go sit on the ground. I might go into my stand desk and I'm just going to alter those positions. And that's the idea behind the movement nutrition. Like listen to the body, see mm. where you might be lacking in some of it and then go towards that versus not really understanding or ignoring those signals. Exactly. Yeah. And so that, that leads to like, we're pretty lucky because I guess we, well, for me, I work from home. I can design my sort of office environment like that. Um, but not everyone works from home. Some people work from offices. It has become very common these days or very acceptable for people to work from standing desks, which I think is a really great option. But like Tom said earlier, it's, you can't just go from sitting in one position all day to standing in one position all day. Um, having variability is really important. And especially if you are standing, then standing in different positions is also really important. So you've seen Tom's on the ground for this podcast. He's been changing positions a lot, which is awesome. I've been standing up and I've also been changing positions a lot because I have these wedges underneath me. I'm stretching out my calf as I talk. I'm putting one foot up, then the other foot. I'm you know, stretching out my toes a little bit. I'm rolling out my feet with this foot roller. And there's just all of these little things that I can be doing while I'm standing that actually give me those tiny, those little movements. It's very low intensity. It's, it's not exercise, but it's just these little movement. Uh, you know, it adds the movement quantity, but especially it adds to the variety. And so having little things like that, again, that's an environmental thing. If I didn't have these wedges or this foot roller um, or this soulmate, um, then I wouldn't be doing those things and I'd probably be more likely to just stand in one position. But at least I being think, aware. I think, yeah, like a good idea to take into it with this concept here is if you think of people who get cardiovascular disease or they have strokes and or they have those like chronic diseases, they often come later in life right? Like they, they take quite a while to build up to then become a thing mm -hmm. with these like little things that you do. You don't really see much improvement day to day or week to week, but if you do it consistently for like a year or two years, you'll turn around and you'll see an entirely like different body. You, you'll be, yeah. you'll feel different. And that's the biggest takeaway from it is like, don't get stressed about how it feels in a week. Cause like, you know, when you first learn to move your toes, it hurts you're not used to it then it, mm. it's quite uncomfortable but give it time and it'll change as long as you keep consistency and you sort of you know keep yourself accountable i suppose and set up the environment with more of the things we're about to talk about because it makes yeah. it easier but that's the thing it's long term yeah it's the long game and i can tell you it, it's sort of doesn't give you that big wow factor like doing a big hip mobility drill and you know doing a really hard 90 90 with breath work and everything and you get this big gain but it gives you more much more sustainable gains um and it's so much easier than just fighting against all of this resistance and then you then you do find if you do want to do a big hip mobility session it just feels so much better because you're, you're working from a much better baseline mm. so shoes that, yeah shoes the shoes so, the big one the, yeah so not many i mean us foot nerds um, are more aware of this, but not that many people think about shoes as an environment or part of their environment. But they are, they're basically a, a form of clothing, which is a, an environment for us. We spend a lot of time in clothing. We spend a lot of time in shoes, or a lot of people do. Not me. Um, <laughs> but the shoes that we wear basically forms the environment of our foot. And like I said earlier, if you're wearing tight, rigid, narrow, cushioned shoes, then your feet will be sedentary or they won't get the natural movement and therefore um, they will become tight and stiff and weak. It's just sort of physio basic physiology. Um, I'm probably preaching to the converted here because um, you guys are doing this program, um, but obviously changing, switching, transitioning. And this goes for anyone that you're talking to about it. A transition period can be really important. Like we said, if your feet aren't used to eating lots of movement nutrients and you overload them with going straight into barefoot and doing big walks and runs barefoot or in barefoot shoes, that can be too much. And they can give you that signal of like, 
whoa, that was too much. That hurt. So having that transition period um, for a lot of people is very, very important. And um, again, using, using some supplements along the way, doing foot mobility work, foot strength work, that can really help accelerate that transition and make it smoother. But obviously the environment of your feet will make a huge difference to how much movement nutrient they get. Yeah. And again, you don't have to stop wearing, you know, your tight mm. shoes every now and again, if you like, and, you know, horses for courses in a sense of if I'm playing a game of soccer or a game yeah. of rugby league, like you, you're going to wear boots because they have better grip. They allow you to move better. But what you'll find the more you do it, if you say spend, I don't know, six of the days a week in just nice barefoot or like barefoot shoes, minimalist shoes. On that seventh day, if you decide to wear a tight shoe, you start to notice how uncomfortable it is. Like you really do go, oh, that's tight. Like that mm. is a different feeling. So yeah. you almost, you, you naturally across the time don't want to wear them anymore. And it, it's just because it doesn't feel as comfortable as it used to. So again, you will see and feel the progress and change as long as you know, you know what you're looking for. And I mean, I'm sure within the program, there'll be a guide on the shoe selection. Um, we can put out if, you know, we need to with Nick, but the, the a transition period is very vital. Let your body adapt, get used to it again. And again, give yourself months. Like don't, again, have to change tomorrow. Like if you're not sure, ask some questions, but the transition period can take a while and that's okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Another great thing to add into your environment, this is probably more something for home, um, but just a hanging bar. So something mm. doesn't have to be a hanging bar. It could be a pair of gymnastic rings or um, just something that you can hang from and get a full deep hang going. Um, I've found that's been one of the biggest things for my shoulder function um, and grip strength. And there's just all these great benefits from hanging more regularly and um if you don't have something to hang from i can guarantee you will not hang so yeah, yeah exactly yeah, just, you just you kind of avoid it right like that's why i mean t i told james this morning I've, i bought some uh bars to hang from now at home because i live in an apartment and there's nowhere to hang like there isn't anything here so you gotta go out and you can then go down to your local hardware store and build something you can find hmm. stuff online now like there's so many cool things that, cool products that people have made like you can definitely find something or somewhere to hang and like you can get like a doorway chin-up bar for like 30 bucks if you need if you yeah. want to go budget it's just just something and again it doesn't have to be like you know i'm gonna hang for five minutes a day or 20 minutes a day it's i might walk past it and go oh that looks cool might hang there for like 10 seconds and move on and that's it and then you might do that again later if you make the habit out of it then you'll see again benefits in that long term yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's a really another great environmental design. Um, my favorite is having balance beams and hacky sacks around. Um, I mean, the amount of times Tom and I have had a meeting and we've just been chatting and we'll take like either we're meeting and talking while we're hacky sacking or we just take, you know, we're meeting, chatting, and then we take five minutes, little hacky sack break and then our brains are switched on our feet are switched on our hips are switched on and we're like sweet that was fun and then we get back into it and it just there if you didn't have hacky sacks around or balance beams you, again you're just not going to do that you're not prompted to do it um yeah, i think historically like meetings have been looked at these things where people don't have fun you sit down for like an hour and talk about things yeah. and a lot of like the feeling comes like from them as like, oh, I was boring or I, I didn't feel productive. Whereas like is the actual example this morning, we had an hour meeting about stuff and it was about 40 minutes of kicking a hacky around on a soccer field whilst yeah. we were discussing ideas and then paused for the second to think about the serious points and then kept going. Like yeah. it was, and like, you know, you write stuff down at the end, you obviously take notes, but I feel like I remember them more after doing that because you're constantly active the whole time. You're not getting bored at all. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so it's a it's a mental thing as much as it is as it is a physical thing. So having balance beams and hackies, again, probably preaching to the converted here with the, the people in the footnote program, but um, also uh, just, I guess, frequenting areas that promote movement. So going down to the park, like that's where Tom and I had our meeting today. We got a coffee, went to the park and hacky sacked and had a big old chat and yeah. We can, I mean, we've had many meetings in our apartments as well, but we're still hacky sack there. But it's just, if you can go to places that encourage movement and everyone's moving at the park, generally, like you don't go down to the park and just 
sit or if you do then you're having a picnic and you're still sitting on the ground which is great um you know or being i'd say gyms i'd I'd like to clarify that i think not just going to your average gym where everyone's chucking their earphones in and doing bicep curls Mm. and not that there's anything wrong with bicep curls or listening to music but more of like a community gym which you know again like we talked about being around other people who are into movement who um who are like-minded and on a similar journey to you is is massive if your friends and family are just not into it they don't they just want to sit and watch tv or they just want to sit and meet or you know all those things then it's much less likely that you're going to be able to obviously you can lead by example and you can encourage it but at least finding your people who are also into movement that can be a big a big part of your environment as well that's that sort of becomes your your tribal environment yeah it becomes the community and you feel like there's a, there is a nice thing about you know being you know a trailblazer in a sense but being a part of a community is probably the nicest thing right like you you know that you've got that support there from people and you you can learn so much from other people because again everyone's had different experiences that someone will think of something that you haven't and that's just great like that's not a bad thing at all mm. and you know and that's why like you'll learn something new about movement you go damn never learned that before and it becomes fun and yeah. you know if, if everyone has like the shared basis of i like moving then all of a sudden it's a talking point too you know it's easy and you don't have to make forced conversation with those people like my gym is open i get coached there every like morning i go no one has headphones in. we have music on but there's no mirrors there's none of that it's just a nice fun time with like you know the eight to 15 people who come to each class and you get to learn you get to meet everyone there's christmas parties and stuff and it's it's so much more fun than when i was going to commercial gyms myself and like you know people had their headphones and just doing stuff it doesn't yeah it's got such a different vibe to it and that i think that the thing you touched on straight away and again here is the community is the biggest part yeah which is why tfc is so cool (laughs) yeah exactly and and I think it's so cool that we have a global community that uh, all obviously share these same values um, and are into it all, but also to have, I guess, therefore all of these foot nerds, people on the ground in different countries that can also, I guess, engage more of their local community, because I think having that in-person interaction is, is really huge as well. Mm. Um, And that, that sort of leads on to not, not that it's less important, but the environmental factors like we said they're really big in promoting certain behaviors but there's other you know just in general having this behavioral approach behavioral approach of a movement centric lifestyle so this is basically just again looking at your movement nutrient profile and thinking how can i make movement or build more movement into my day as a matter of necessity like how can i make it more um yeah like for instance rather than driving to work or driving to the shops walking um, or at least walking part of the way or just finding little ways that you can increase the amount of movement that you sort of have to do throughout your day obviously it's often it's not forced upon you and you're still making a choice but it's um, just building your lifestyle around movement yeah. And I think, I mean, everyone's different. So you'll come up with your own strategies of things, but like, I mean, I'm a big fan of games, right? Like whether it's a video game or whether it's hacky sack games or games in general, cause it's fun. Like I've yeah. always liked games. So a simple example of how I gamified eating to get more nutrients in was like you, I, I was, you're aiming for 30 different like fruits, nuts, legumes a week. And like you get X number of points per week. And obviously there's a goal to hit each week. And it's actually, it's quite fun because it's a challenge. You're like, Oh, Hmm, have I had that fruit this week or have I had that vegetable? And I don't do it the same, but I started thinking about it, the same concept with just moving. Like, okay, mm. if I, you know, if I cook dinner versus Uber Eats, I'm like, I feel more rewarded. Like, I feel like that's better experience. I, I get more points for that. And you could gamify that to any end that you wanted to. For example, you could create your own internal reward system or like a external reward system, whatever sort of suited your need. If you do find it's hard and like, that's the cool part about it if you need to get motivated, there are ways to motivate. Or if you're someone who's just more intrinsically motivated to move, cook and clean, then you just get the internal I don't know, validation and excitement of actually doing it. So yeah, there are de- definitely ways to do it. And again, reach out if you, you know, need some help. But I think it's so cool that you can come up with your own way to do it. Yeah. 
and I think more more movement. It's a cycle. It, it's it's quite a cyclical thing where more more the more you move, um, and the more you sort of, I guess, give yourself uh, specific nutrients that make you feel better, the more likely you are to want to move. Like if you start your day with movement, like for me, I if I start my day with a walk and um, you know a bit of a strength session and of some handstands and some hacky and you know i get a bunch of movement done in the morning then i'm actually more likely to want to keep moving throughout the day whereas if i have a really sedentary morning um i feel stiffer i don't feel as clear in the mind i'm more likely to want to default to the couch or to you know i'm just less likely to want to keep that movement up throughout the day and so it's sort of maybe it seems counterintuitive to some where they're like well i'm going to use all my energy in the morning and i can't use it throughout but it actually the more you move actually the more energy you get for movement as long as it's um you know as long as you're not like destroying yourself in a workout obviously that's a different thing um but if you're just getting enough of a enough of a movement um meal i suppose um you're actually sort of more likely to want to, I guess, movement snack throughout the day. Um, mm. So that's maybe where, you know, nutrition and movement get a bit, you know, you don't really want to be eating all the time. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> it'd be nice to be able yeah. to, but it's yeah, just not realistic. <laughs> yeah. Um, but f- from the movement point of view, having frequent movement snacks throughout the day is actually a really good thing as well. Um, mm. And that that sort of does lead us a little bit to, um, like having a movement practice. I think that's another really great way to get more um, good movement nutrients in. And we've, again, we've talked about how exercise isn't enough, um, but it can be really important. And I guess a movement practice I see as a little bit different to just exercise. Obviously it can, it can be very, there's a lot of overlap, but a movement practice I feel is more, um, focused on skills that you actually want to practice, like focusing on the skill part of the movement rather than, Oh, I've just got to run on this treadmill to undo the amount of calories that I just ate in that donut or something. It's, it's quite a different mindset to, you know, just going to the gym for a workout so that you can, um, you know, lose weight or build muscle versus like, Oh, I want to learn to handstand. Um, or I want to learn to hacky sack, or I want to learn to balance on the beam or, you know, any, any of these movement skills that you could do. Um, obviously part of that will come down to building a foundational capacity of strength and mobility and balance. Um, but it's with the, uh, vision of creating more of a more skillful movement in your life. Yeah. And that can be anything. Like, mm. I mean, if you're someone who loves the gym and you love going to the gym and like, you want to learn how to be amazing at front squats, back squats, hack squats, whatever yeah. the squat is like, go for it. And if you look at it from that, I want to be really good at squatting, then that is different to, I'm going to go squat because I want mm. big legs or I want to like, whatever. Like, and it can be any movement you like. I mean, I'm currently trying to do the front splits. I know you're obviously you, you're still loving the handstands like locomotives and stuff. Like we have these little goals and it honestly keeps you more motivated for one. It keeps it a hell of a lot more fun because like there's, I'm not just doing it for the sake of doing, it. I'm trying to achieve something here. And I mean, the other one is like this afternoon, I got a sprint session. All right. I'm, I'm trying to learn to sprint better. And mm. it, you know, everyone has probably sprinted at some point in their life. And do I need to? Not really, but I like the idea of learning about it and trying to get better at that thing. And that practice sort of has allowed me to feel like, Oh yeah, this is cool. And there's a lot of translation across to other things, but that's like not the point here. It's just, it's just fun. Yeah. Like, you know, you, you feel, feel better when you're trying to learn something. Exactly. It, and it's channeling that, that sense of meaning and purpose and fun rather than, Oh, I should go and exercise because I know it's good for me. It's, it's like, I want to practice this movement because it makes me feel good. Um, I enjoy it. And yeah, it's, it's, yeah, sometimes it is just a mindset. You could be doing the exact same movement like squats, like Tom said. Um, but if you're focusing on all of the, you know, the key skill aspects of a squat versus just banging out some squats or, or running, for instance, is a good example. If you're just pounding the pavement and just trying to build up your um, kilometers versus like really tuning into your technique and your breathing and you're like 
in this sort of flow state while you're doing the exercise it's it's two very different things and that's where mm. that that concept of play comes into it and we won't we won't delve too much into play in this podcast because we'll have a whole podcast about it but it's it's doing something for its own sake because you enjoy it rather than yeah, yeah versus work and there's there's always a role for work and play um but yeah i think the the um joining sort of characteristic or the <clears throat> the thing that joins the two is that sense of meaning so you're working on things so that you can play with certain skills and you're playing with certain skills so you know what to work on more and yeah it's sort of again that's that sort of feedback loop so we, we'll explore that more in the play podcast yeah. but uh, yeah and then i suppose like from here it's like where do people go what's their next step what do you reckon i would say do the movement nutrient profile um really sit down and hammer that down we'll have that in the show notes uh, like the um, lesson notes about how to do that and start on just one tiny habit um around your movement diet and just decide on something that you're going to change whether it's environmental or behavioral um and then start with that and then just build on that gradually and and document how you feel as a result. I mean, yeah. Oh, like, yes, probably keep it, document it. Like it's yeah. fun to just write down where you are and like where you get to when you reflect on it a couple of weeks or a couple of months time. You're like, man, good, bad or whatever is if it's different, it's different. And then yeah. that's the cool part. It's just a journey, like we said, and yeah. it will take time to get there. But once you do your movement like profile and you've gone through like, man, there's some, there's some things I could change here. And then you're all right. Obviously, we'll, we'll link the environmental stuff as well and like the lesson notes or, and such. But start small, work forward, and you, you will slowly see like there's a lot of things that you, you know, you'll see the world differently as, in a yeah. sense. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think that's the biggest first step is really just taking this mindset and this lens on board and really seeing your movement behavior in, with that lens. And then taking the action steps um, that you you'll see fit, you'll fi- you'll figure that out. And maybe chat to someone else in the Footnote program or someone in your um, local community, friends or family about it, and and explore it. I find explaining something is one of the best ways to understand it better. And we're all going to be working on our ability to explain things better um it's it's quite possible that tom and i will record this podcast again on movement nutrition as we sort of learn to explain it better as well and that's the whole idea with this footnote program is we get feedback um you know we learn more ourselves we learn more from each other and we keep updating and progressing the programs for uh, for all of our benefits yeah right cool well probably a good place to it, do right? it yeah yeah all right so, so yeah, reach out if you've got any questions about any of it, um, work through the lesson notes and record your experience and yeah, let us know how you go. And we'll, I'm sure we'll see you guys soon. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, ciao. See you guys.